In this episode of Great Practices, we'll learn about a four-step process to determine the services your PMO will offer, talk about the different types of PMOs, how to map people to the various roles needed, as well as get the word out that your PMO is open for business. Plus, we'll find a way to extend the shelf life of a PMO so it doesn't begin to stink after two to three years. So let's get right into this episode of Great Practices with Bill Dow. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. Well, we'd like to welcome you to this month's episode of Great Practices. And I've got to tell you, I have been looking forward to having this conversation for some time now. Um, because I am just a firm believer that a, every department within a company should operate as a company within itself. And that certainly includes a PMO. So we know that companies offer products and services, and it should be no different than how you set your project management office up to see how you're going to be able to offer that as a service offering. But where do you even start? Where do you even begin to go down that path of setting up your PMO as a service offering? Well, that's the topic for today. And that's, we've got our special guest, Bill Dow, uh, who is going to take us through a process to set up our PMO as a service offering. So Bill, welcome to Great Practices. Looking forward to having this conversation with you. Thank you, Chris. So have I. I've really enjoyed it. I know we uh, we touched base a couple of weeks ago, and I was super, super excited about meeting today and, and really uh, having this conversation. So thank you for inviting me. Well, I'm glad you're here. Yeah. So let's, first of all, let's start a little bit about who you are and what you do. Great. So as you said, my name is Bill Dow. I have 30 plus years of hands-on experience in both PMO and project management. I man- started managing my first project in 1991 and my first PMO in 2000. So lots of experience, lots of background, huge passion in this space. I've been a speaker around the world. Um, So from London, England to India, all over North America. And I've actually written four books. So the um, tactical, sorry, the PMO lifecycle, building, running and shutting down, project management communication tools, the tactical guide for building a PMO, and back in 2008, project management communication Bible. So I have a huge passion in this space. I absolutely love it. I love sharing my background, love sharing my experience. And as I said, I'm thrilled to be here today. That's great. Well, that's, that's coming across loud and clear. So basically, you know what's up. That's, that's, what, I'm, that's what I'm getting out of this. So, so let's, let's, let's go to the very basics. Let's start with your definition of a PMO. We always ask that question first. So how would you define a PMO? Well, I love that question. I get asked it all the time, right? I've written two books in the subject and I've done 10 PMOs across my career. And what I, what I, I love about the question is it's so different for every company, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually writing an article on this right now. So I haven't actually put out what is a PMO. So I'm literally writing an article on this. And, and, the, and the thing is, is that 
it's so different from company to company and everyone defaults to it's a project management office right project management no it can be a program management office it could be a project support office um, i talk about it a little bit later in the four p's of the pmo but it's really really important that people don't just say there's one definition and they right. don't just default to um it, it being a project management office and so i think it's really important to understand when you define your pmo you have to define what like what are you doing right what you do defines what the pmo is and that's why it's so radically different from company to company yeah and i think that, i think that's the thing that even you know on the pmo leader uh website and the conversations that have been coming through there is that pmo is not only you know, in the United States are different, but certainly globally are different as well. Yeah. So it's always good to have that differentiation of exactly what that PMO is. We see that in the UK, right? A PMO in the UK is radically different than a PMO here. We yeah. just see those definitions come up all the time. And Lindsay Scott, there's a lot of great work that's being done in the in the UK from PMOs, but it doesn't translate necessarily to the US and Canada. Yeah. And so that's an important conversation, right? When people are seeing these documents and they're seeing these blogs and these articles, and when we read PMO, it actually is very, very different. Yeah, very true. So let's talk about this idea of a PMO service offering. Now that just sounds like, oh, so abstract and so, you know, ethereal or whatever, right? Yeah. Where would you even start to put together a PMO service offering? Do you have kind of a process for that, right? I do. Yeah. I have a four-step process. Now, just to kind of level set, right? This is my 10th PMO that I'm managing now. Yep. And I didn't do this from number one. I, I've learned as I went, right? And I've got stronger and better and faster and all that as I've went. And so when you think about service offerings and you think about defining PMOs, I really feel that there's four main steps. Okay. And so when you think about it, the first step is your executives. So you have to break it down to what are the executives wanting for a PMO? Do the executives want a PMO because they had it in the last company? Do the executives want to get a pet project done? So, hey, let's build a PMO. Yeah. Do the executives have no idea what a PMO is? Or do they know exactly what a PMO is? So when you're defining your service offerings, your step number one is to talk to your executives, talk to your management chain, talk to everyone up above, above you to really define what they're expecting the PMO is going to do. And, and it's just an initial conversation, right? It's not locked in stone. It's not, right? It's just the initial conversation to really capture what they want. And you're, 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 that goes right into the question. The first question we asked is what is a PMO? Because yep. they're all going to have different perceptions right. of that themselves, right? So yeah. you've got to clarify that certainly with your executives. Right? Yeah, right. right. So again, yeah. So again, service or so service offerings, what a PMO does, it starts with your executives. If they know what a PMO is, yeah. they're going to drive what they want. If they have no idea, then you're going to go into these next sets of steps. But, you know, it's very clear. They know what they want. They're, you're, you're doing that PMO. Okay, so the next step is not only, so you, you click it down a little bit and you look at your business problems. What are the business problems that your, your senior leaders, not necessarily executives, but your peers, your senior leaders, your customers, what do they expect and what are the business problems that they want the PMO to solve? So let's take some examples. We have horrible, consistent delivery on our projects. We have no phase gates. We have no communications. 
We have no CR process. We don't have a status report. Whatever these business problems are, and we see them across every company, we see them across all all these projects. What are these business problems that your peers and some of your executives, but mainly your peers and your customers, what are they expecting the PMO to solve? So you now have a view from your executives and you have a view from your peers and the senior leaders of what business problems. Yeah. And it sounds it's like that's going to be so specific to each company, that's right. right? Yeah. I mean, that is, that's like the that's DNA the of each company is those two, those two yeah. pieces right there. Because you think about leaders who are driving HR, driving finance, driving all these various things, they're going to say, hey, execution on a project is, is terrible or is great, or no one knows what red means. No one knows what yellow means. Yeah. All of these things that is in the DNA of a project governance, all are of a PMO, all these things are really key to a particular company. So you have to lock those in. So what's step number three? Okay. Well, then step number three is when we get into the type of PMO. Now there's 11 types of PMOs. Okay. And I'm not going to rattle off 11, but you definitely can go Google those. Um, But basically the top three are directive, controlling, and supportive. Okay, so let's talk about directive, for example. Directive is where I've had most success, is we're executing projects. I want weekly status reports. I want weekly uh, financial updates. I want, you know, risk and issue logs. I want action logs. That's a directive, right? We are really driving how the program and project managers execute their projects because we're looking for scale. Right, I have 35 project managers working for me. They all have to do the same status reports. They all have to say red, yellow, and green are these definitions. Controlling is really around compliance. It's still around providing templates. It's still around, but controlling is is not as used as often as directive. And then the other one that's used a lot more, and I ran one at Microsoft, I'll talk about that, is supportive. So the one I ran at Microsoft was purely a supportive PMO. And so what did that mean? That means I created templates, I created tools, I created PMP training, I created all these amazing project management things, and they chose to use them or not. They chose to show up to the to the PMP class. They chose to use the risk and issue log. I had no say over whether they were going to do it or not. So you... Why do you think why do you think controlling is less used in those in those three um, well, options you just presented? Well, because we're we're heading towards agile, right? We're we're heading towards when you think about controlling, you think about compliance, you think yeah. about using standard templates, standard forms, right? And so with agile and the way agile is kind of taking over, we're right. trying to get a little bit out of that less rigidity um, and more into a little bit more flexibility. And so no, no, not many projects are really going to want all that rigor and that structure. However, Agile hasn't completely knocked it out of the park. There's still a lot of predictive. There's still a lot of hybrid. And again, I think it's the scaling question is really the key here, right? 35 project managers across 90 to 95 projects, you need scale there. And that's where that directive PMO is really, really valuable. But there's something to be said for a supportive PMO, but you just have to go into that with eyes wide open saying you can create the the greatest materials, the greatest PMP training or agile training, whatever. 
they don't actually have to do it. You're only yeah. supporting the org. You're not forcing them to use it or not. And again, I think that's going to come down from what the executives have defined yep. and what the 100%. business problem is, right? I mean, I think that that's, that makes perfect sense as the third step, because then you'll know what you need in order to accomplish those first two you know, goals. Yeah. Yeah. Something to be said for, yeah, each of them, values on each of them and disadvantages on each of them as well. For sure. All right. We are now at step four then. So what does that look like? Okay. And that is your four P's or your PML. And so when you think about your four P's, you think about portfolio, program, and project, and the fourth P being people, okay? And so that is something um, that I've coined a long time ago, but I just want to step back and really talk about what does that mean? That means PMOs can be project management, they can be program and project, they can be portfolio, program, and project, they can be every combination, and you need to know that. That is the big what, right? What are you doing? I'm managing programs. I'm managing a portfolio. I'm managing projects. So it's the combination and every executive is going to have their own opinions of what's in and out of your PMO. But that fourth P really summarizes with those other three components, summarizes what your PM does, your PMO does. Beautiful. And and I mean, I think to your point, it's the scope, right? It's It's the the scope scope of what your PMO is going to do. Mm -hmm. All right. So let me see if I got this right. Step number one is make sure that you've got uh, a clear understanding of what your executives want, right? Step number two is you've got a clear understanding of what the business problem is. And you're going to get that from your peers. You're going to get that from your colleagues. You're going to get that from your customers uh, as far as what you're trying to solve. Step three is determine what type of PMO is going to best address those. And then step number four is define the scope of that PMO. So there's the beginnings of that whole service offering idea. Now imagine laying that out. So just imagine laying that out on a, in a PowerPoint deck, on an Excel spreadsheet, just yeah. laying that out. This is what the executive said. There's the business problems. Here's the, the, um, the type of PMO. I'm, I'm a, it's a thou shall or I'm just serving up. <laughs> and then here is the I'm running portfolio, I'm running project, I'm running, right? It's when you lay all that out, yeah. you're basically defining your PMO. Yeah. Right. You're you're basically being able to step back and say, wow, this is what they expect out of me. And I'm always I'm big into you can't measure and you can't improve if you don't know. And so these things, these sets of questions and these steps that we've gone through gives you this wealth of data and the wealth of data will let you construct what your PMO should be. Yeah, it's fantastic. All right. So it sounds good in theory. Right. This, this mm-hmm. looks good on paper. So give us some real life examples of how you've set this up. Can you walk us through some yep. of those? hundred percent. I've done it in the last three or four PMOs. Uh, so multiple at Microsoft and the current one I'm in now, I've done this exact same steps. So I've literally worked with my leadership. I collected the business problems. I determined what type of PMO and my directive and my supportive, what, what am I doing? And yeah. then we got into, as a program, as a project, as a portfolio, and I laid all that out. And so one of the things I did is I actually created this tool called PMO Roles and Responsibility Staffing Model. Okay. I put it in my latest, the book, The PMO Lifecycle. And basically what it does is it looks like a racy. Every project manager loves a racy. This, this is no different. But basically what this looks like is, we have defined with all that rich data we were just talking about, we define the services 
down the side, uh, you know, take a typical table in Excel, it's service, 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 and then all the details of what they do. And then what we said at the top is who are the roles, who's playing that? So great example, one of my uh, executives asked me for, you have to do portfolio management. I said, great, this is what portfolio management does. Oh, I don't have a portfolio manager. I just use this tool as a justification to hire. Fantastic. And so you actually can use it to say, these are the services you've asked me to do. Here are the roles that would do those services. I have the staff or I don't have the staff. Yeah. And then, of course, you fill in the racy, the A's, the R's, the Z's, right? And it literally allows you to justify the staff for your PMO. Where did you say, you just, where can we get access to that tool? Where did you say that? Uh, was yeah, available? I put it in my book, the PMO lifecycle, building, running, and shutting down. Just It's one of the templates that's in there where I explain all this. That's great. Yeah, no, that's that sounds like an inv- and, and like you're saying, there's the service offerings, right? That will map a, to yeah. what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so, and the people. Yeah, that's a great approach. Yeah, the, and the people, right? And then the people who say, hey, and a portfolio manager is accountable for all the portfolio management work, but there's no name. Okay, then I can't either I hire or I can't do that piece, but yeah. you specifically ask for that piece. Yeah, and it becomes very clear as far as what the gaps are then. It'd be, yeah, it comes to, right? just like a racy, right? Like we're all PMs, right? We're all detailed PMs. So I was like, I love a racy. Yeah. How would this work <laughs> with a racy, right? And so, but I've used it multiple times. So I've taken and used these four steps across two companies, multiple PMOs, and it works. It works perfect. It literally works perfect. So let me ask you this question then. Now, you could have the best product, the best service offering possible. Mm-hmm right? But if people don't know about it, it's not going to do anybody any good. So we've got this element of marketing that has to yeah. come with this whole idea of running your own company within the company. So how do you, how do you market your PMO service offerings? How do you get that word out? Sell, 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 right? I think there's a component of being a PMO director or manager that you're constantly selling. So one of the things I did three, four PMOs ago is I created a walking deck, or a marketing deck or a elevator speech, if you would, right? And so I was at Microsoft at the time and they were all big PowerPoint folks. And so it's really around, hey, what do we do? What are the mission? What's the vision? What's the goals? What are the objectives? What are the service offerings? What are the roadmap? What are the functions? Who's the org chart? What's in the org chart, right? And when you wrap all this up into this nice document, you can then go have the leadership conversations, the customer conversations, because not only defines what you do, it also defines what you don't do. And you wouldn't believe when I offer and I put these service offerings up, they go, oh, I just thought you were doing programs or projects. Oh, no, no, no. We do dashboards. We do governance. We do, you know, Lean Six Sigma. We do what a change management, right? There's all these things that we do and, there's, and, and if it's not on this list, we currently are not doing that. So yeah. I think it's important to define what you do and what you don't do as well when you're establishing and building out your services and your walking deck. I love, the, I love that idea because of a walking deck because here's the deal. Leadership is going to change, right? Yeah. I mean, it is just going to change as, as months and years go by. There's going to be new people that are in those roles and it's just so easy to explain it to them. Yeah, uh, what you do. So that's a really good approach. 
Yeah, they come in and go all the time. And one of the first things I do as a leader is I go, okay, and I fire up my walking deck and I go through business challenges and I go through the mission and the org chart and all that stuff. But I zero in on that service offerings. Yeah, uh, this is what you're doing more than programs and projects. Uh, yeah, we're a huge organization. We do all these things. And, you know, the you and I had talked earlier because there's like a startling statistic that you've kind of uncovered yep. that a PMO has a shelf life of maybe three to five years, right? Yeah. And, and I think we've all seen this in various organizations. They'll expand, they'll contract, they'll expand, they'll contract. And that's usually a three to five year cycle. So that walking deck will help through those scenarios yep. right there. Um, but why do you think this happens? Why, why does that happen to PMOs and not to other functions in a company? Yeah. Again, I coined this in, one, in both of my books. I call it the PMO cycle. And basically, when you think about this, executives last three to five years. So how many times do you get an executive that will come into a company that had a PMO before? And what's the first thing that executive will say? I need a PMO. I yes. had it before. I need it again. It's going to do all my projects. So because they actually turn in that three to five year, and it's still a pretty accurate statistic, that because they turn so often, you, the, the, you see the PMOs turn. And you see them shut down. Again, I've done 10. I've done 10 for a reason because they shut down, they come up, they shut down, they start up, right? And so, but I'd like to shift the mindset a little bit. So totally agree that it's three to five years, but I think PMO managers need to change their mindset a little bit. They know executives are going to turn. And so what I would say is, is that if the PMO managers, directors, whatever level is, they're focusing on running an organization and they get themselves embedded in how the company operates, then yes, executives can go and come and go, but it's going to be less likely that the PMO Will go and so when you think uh, an HR director running HR, a finance right. director running finance, a PMO director should run and operate that same way. And I really do. That would slow things down a little bit. But so many directors and PMO managers are focused on programs and projects and executing governance and executing those projects on time, on budget, and all that agile and all that goodness. They lose the fact that they're running an organization. And yep. therefore, it makes them a little bit more, they can shut them down a little easier. Yeah, no, that's that's um, potentially disturbing, you know, that that could happen so easily. Like you're saying, those other functions, it just does not happen uh, that way, you know, with, right. with other core functions in a company. Yeah, think about it, right? When an executive, a CIO leaves or a vice president or president leaves, does finance shut down? Does HR shut down? No, yeah. right? But a PMO will in many, many cases, because someone will come in and either say, they're useless, they're not, they're, I don't need them, or I need them. Oh, I need this PMO, right? And so that three to five years seems to be a very valid statistic. That yeah. just keep but it sounds like, you know, if you've, if you've done the steps that you've talked about, and your PMO is delivering, and you can speak mm -hmm. to it, um, quickly and eloquently and factually and with results, with marketing. you know, pe people are looking for value. Business leaders are going to be looking for value. So if you can show that value is That's there right. from all of these steps that you've done, um, you know, you probably stand a pretty good chance of at least making it through that next leadership transition. Yeah. And one of the things I talk about in my book is gr grabbing multiple leaders 
Don't hang your hat on one leader, right? Get multiple leaders, connect with multiple leaders. And so when one shuts down or one leaves, you're not guaranteed to get shut down because you've got support across multiple leaders, right? When you tie your hat to one and one leaves, you're in trouble. But do you really show that strategic value and that seat at the table? Then it'll have less likely shut down. Well, Bill, this has been a, a great conversation. Um, thank you for sharing a lot of these great practices with us. And uh, here's here's the great practices I'm taking away. Um, you know, today today, Bill is, you know, your four step process, right? You know, determine what your executives want, solve the business problem, determine the type of PMO, uh, and then what's the scope of that PMO going to be? You know, those four P's: portfolio, program, project, and of course, people. You know, and all of that. Um, market that PMO, make sure the word is out there. And I love what you said earlier about tie yourself, not to just one executive, but to multiple leaders within the company, because that's going to, uh, you know, through rough times or transitions that will help ensure that that PMO will continue in business. So real, real good insight there. Um, Where is it that people can connect with you? Um, What's going to be the best way that they can reach you? Yeah. Thanks. So I'd love for people to go check out my uh, buildoutpmp.com site, right? I'm always putting new articles, new stuff up there. Um, Obviously, LinkedIn. Um, You can get me on Twitter. You can get me in my email directly, which is buildoutpublishingllc.com. So uh, multiple different ways to get a hold of me, but I really appreciate the conversation. It's been great. All right. Well, we appreciate your time this afternoon and um, we look forward to seeing what you got next. And um, I believe you're speaking in Bulgaria or something. Yes. Next, right? Yeah. PMI Bulgaria. Yeah. Where we talk about service offerings. We go much, much deeper with tools and templates and we go really deep into the subject. So really, really passionate about it. Outstanding. Well, they're in for a treat. Thank you. Thanks, Bill. Well, that was a great conversation with Bill, and we appreciate him being on the show today. You could definitely tell that he's been doing this for a long time and is excited about this topic. So what are some of the great practices that we are able to take away from today's episode? Well, first of all, there's the four-step process for defining the services that your PMO will offer. Remember those four steps? First of all, find out what your executives want from a PMO. Second, find out what business problem needs to be solved. You can get that from peers, colleagues, customers. Third, determine the PMO type. Is it going to be controlling, directive, supporting, or any of the other 11 different types of PMOs? And then finally, define the scope of what your PMO will cover. Here's another great practice. Now that it's set up, love that idea of a walking deck, a marketing deck, Uh, an elevator pitch to explain to peers and executives what are the services that your PMO offers, what you do, and many times more importantly, what you don't do uh, are very helpful in setting your PMO up for success. And finally, what about not hanging your PMO hat on just one leader in the organization? We all know change happens, and you want to make sure that the value that your PMO brings to the organization is seen across multiple business leaders. So that's an important uh, practice as well to implement when setting up your PMO. 
So again, great conversation with Bill. Be sure to check out his book, The PMO Lifecycle, Building, Running, and Shutting Down, among the other books that he has written. And as always, if you have a great practice that you'd like to share and you'd like to be on a future episode, go to thepmoleader.com, click on Community, and then click on Great Practices. You'll see a form at the bottom to fill out, and we'll get back with you shortly to discuss your idea. So thanks again for listening to this episode, and keep putting great practices into practice. Thank you.